are listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf Terry, and... Luke Romsdorf Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery Series and discuss it. On today's episode, we're talking about the 14th book in the series, The Cat Who Wasn't There. Now, The Cat Who Wasn't There, I see that this was published in 92-93? Uh, two different editions. This is an ah. interesting part, this is an interesting change in the publishing tradition of this book. Because we have the hardback edition released first in 92, and the paperback rated, waited to be released in 93. So we have the hardback paperback trend <laughs> starting Yes, which there. was so popular in the mid-90s, which was so annoying. I Yeah, having worked at a bookstore, it was always annoying to just go for the paperback. Exactly. Unless it's a textbook or you're selling it at a school, at a university bookstore, no one cares. But something we do care about, we're halfway, this is halfway through. This is the halfway mark? This is the halfway mark. Oh, wow. So thank you for those of you who have uh, stuck with us this entire time. And <laughs> we have, if, if, if this more is episode More ramblings ahead. More ramblings ahead. We got 15 more to go. But hey, halfway. Well, Absolutely. that kind of flew by, actually. Yeah. This has been fun. Now, this book is also available digitally. Yes. With the same author. Same same audiobook. Uh, same audiobook. Uh, not reader. author reader. Sorry. Yes. I would hope it'd be the same author, and it wouldn't. You know, maybe. Yes, that would be an interesting transition. Lillian Jackson Braun. This is when she's trying her Richard Bachman phase. Or <laughs> let's get back to the Cat Mystery series. This is again a tra- another travel book. This is this is the this is the last of the official travel books. Although, as I've been reading ahead, um, I have one that I guess technically could be considered a travel book, even though he doesn't actually leave Moose County in that particular book. But this is the last of the official. He is gone for a period of time. Hmm. Um, well, all right. Books. And, of course, bad things happen. <laughs> As it tends to go, yes. So, Quill is off to Scotland with Polly. Melinda Goodwinter, because nothing bad can possibly happen there. Oh, boy. And some other Moose Countians to explore their Scottish roots. <laughs> so, if you haven't figured out from some of the names that we've been speaking, and Quill's personal obsession with his mother was a Macintosh, uh, Moose County is lousy with people of Scottish heritage. And... So it surprises me not at all that Lillian Jackson Brown would take the opportunity to set a, to try and set a book, a book in Scotland. Hmm. And this one is really fun because let's remember that at the end of the previous book, Quill comes rushing back from the Potato Mountains because Polly was threatened by a mystery man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with that in mind, when Polly mentions that she'd like to get out of town for a little bit and she's going to join her dear friend Irma Hasselrich on a <laughs> trip to Scotland, which Irma is leading, Quill decides he's going to he's going to join along. Might as well. Um, he mentions that he hasn't been to Scotland since the honeymoon of his ill-fated marriage um, <laughs> to his finally deceased ex-wife. Um, and what? Finally deceased? She died a couple books back. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yes, in the mental institution. Oh, that's yeah, right. She that's wasn't, right. That's right. She, she wasn't healthy to begin with. That's um, true. Oh, anyway, goodness. So he's looking forward to this trip as a chance to make some better memories. Um, <laughs> and he's also trying to avoid the newly returned Melinda Goodwinter, who makes it very clear that she is still aiming to wrangle Quill to the altar, although reasons are a little bit different this time around. As we mentioned last time, run away, Quill. <laughs> as we mention every time. Well, run away, especially Quill. with Melinda. Apologize to Melinda's out there. I'm sure there's some good ones of you, but uh, anyway. <laughs> so the trip to Scotland gets finalized. Rehearsals are also starting uh, with the Theatre Club's latest production, which is, of course... Macbeth. Ah, Macbeth. Yes. And, and I mean, what else ties into Scotland? Shakespeare and cats. Well, of course. Um, much to the chagrin of assistant director Fran Brody, <laughs> the director, who is the new in town Dwight Summers, um, he's <laughs> recently joined uh, XYZ Enterprises as their PR man. All right. Um, 
But not only is the director going, Lord and Lady Macbeth are going, as played by Larry Landsbeek and Melinda Goodwinter. Oh, that's too. That's almost too good. Yep. That's everybody's, so good. So everybody's good heading bad. to Scotland with Quill. <laughs> and again, the whole thing is being led by Irma Hasselrich. We we've met Irma a couple of times. Usually, when Quill goes out to the senior center hmm. to talk to uh, an, an octogenarian, nonagenarian. Um, basically when he goes to find a story that he needs to fill in space in the quill pen. Um, <laughs> she is what's known as the head canary. She organizes all the volunteers. She organizes visitors. So the woman is used to organizing everything. And apparently she studied art in Scotland in her youth. Oh. And so since she's spending her 40s as volunteer extraordinaire, she might as well lead a tour. Right. It should be mentioned she's not hugely popular in Moose County. Mm, um, her vigor is off-putting as apparently is her grooming. Uh, in Moose County, looking too polished is seen as a character flaw, apparently. Okay, so too polished, and also if you have rehearsal, so you need rehearsal clothes. This is... Yeah, it's... Moose County has some very interesting dress codes. They, they really do. I, I mean, I understand... I do understand to a certain extent, especially in a farming community, where if you look too, quote-unquote, citified, people don't trust you. But there's a difference between looking citified and grooming. I right. mean, she's obviously grooming herself with the, uh, you know, with with the tools available to her. She, it's not like she's flying down below every two weeks to get her hair cut. Well, um, see, it, when you, as soon as you mentioned grooming and reading through it, I first, looking at your notes, immediately thought, oh, does she not bathe? Is she not shaving or something? Or no, it's just the fact that she looks too polished. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, well, I guess forget her for taking a shower every day. I know, I know. <laughs> it should be mentioned she also has a less than pristine past. Uh-oh. According to local gossip, she shot a man and got away with it. That seems now, like a Friday night at Moose County. I'm according sorry. According to Polly, however, she shot him in self-defense when he date-raped her. And her father, the K-Fund attorney, by the way, Osmond Hagelrich, convinced the judge to, send, to sentence her leniently. She did court-required community service and decided to, de- to dedicate her life to helping others. And this is causing a... And this is why people don't like her. This is why... I pe- don't understand it. Wow. Okay. I, I, I truly don't understand how this manages to make somebody that people don't like. Um, except for the fact that she, in every in every incarnation that we have read of Irma, she is determined to do things her way. Mm-hmm. And that I can see as rubbing people the wrong way. And especially when she's a local and she is she could be seen as putting on airs and getting above herself. Well, also especially as the... This isn't a trope. It's just the way women have been treated in quite some time, going back to the early '90s. Oh, she's a headstrong woman. Oh, she, that which or she's quote and unquote bossy. To, or and she's, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. I mean, so, she's difficult. Well, no, she's just having an opinion. We're going to talk about that. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> so the cast of characters uh, for what Quill is now calling the Bonnie Scotts tour is uh, is a mix of <laughs> old and new faces. We have Dwight Summers again, the newest member of the XYZ development team. Melinda Goodwinter, newly mm. returned from Boston. Quill, Polly, Larry, and Carol Landspeak, who own the department store. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lyle, who is the superintendent of schools, and his wife, Lisa, at Compton. Arch Riker's going. Oh, Amanda good. Goodwinter, because, of course, they have distilleries, and she <laughs> um, is a little bit obsessed with this. There's distilleries in Scotland? What? Never. I, I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> this wonderful name of Wannell McQuannell and his wife, Glenda McQuannell, oh, who is the local CPA and oh, his wife. Of course he is. Because, like I said, they kind of eat, breathe, and live Scotland up in Moose County. Uh, I kind of love it. Hence by Wannell McWannell. Wannell McWannell. It's literally the same thing twice. Jeez. With a Mac in front of it. We have John Bushland, 
But no Vicky, should be mentioned. Hmm. Um, we haven't seen Vicky since the Cat Who Knew a Cardinal. Something does not sound right there. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll learn about that later. And then we have the Chisholm sisters, Grace and Zelda. Hmm. These are rich older sisters. They collect teddy bears. Well, all right then. Exactly. <laughs> um, Mildred Hansible will stay in pickaxe and spoil the Siamese while Quill's away. But while Quill is showing her around the barn, Mildred mentions a disturbing message in her tarot cards, which she decided to read. Because remember, Mildred reads tarot cards and reads them well. Um, She asks to read them for Quill in person. The cards predict fraud or treachery. Hmm. Quill is, by the way, still obsessed with his pocket tape recorder and is smart (laughs) enough to tape his card reading. And the warning from the cards... Tinks, uh, you know, makes his mustache twitch enough that he decides to take the uh, the tape recorder with him, and this proves prophetic. Hmm. So, with everyone planning their own uh, arrivals and departures, uh, Quill leaves a little bit early to land in Glasgow um, before the tour starts. But unfortunately, his luggage ends up in Germany. Oh, it doesn't actually. The book doesn't actually say that his luggage ends up in Germany. It just says that it uh, ends up in a certain part of Europe, and based on that description, Germany was the most likely spot. <laughs> Um, it does, however, catch up with him just as the official tour begins. And we have Irma bringing out a map, and they talk over the planned itineraries, and it appears there will be some competition for tour later. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Irma may be official, um, but Wannell has Scot- Scotland facts and figures to shout out, and Lyle Compton is a, military rev- is a militant revisionist, meaning he wants the historical stories and not the romanticized Bonnie Prince Charlie history that Irma prefers. Uh, there are several hiccups uh, that happen with every tour. Someone is late, someone packed too much, and in this case, that someone is the same person, Grace Chisholm. Uh, Irma and Lyle understandably clash over the story of Bonnie Prince Charlie, charismatic leaders surviving, you know, we have the charismatic leader surviving by his witch or a drunken political figure kept alive as long as it was politically beneficial to do so. <laughs> y- you decide. Apparently also Irma's voice is so monotone everyone falls asleep as they drive through endless scenery. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and every night's dinner, Irma seems to be stepping out with the tour of his bus driver, Bruce, no last name given. Hmm. Most of the women are incredibly judgy about this, but of all people, Lyle Compton is the one who points out that Irma is working 16-hour days and is entitled to her R&R. And as he puts it, ours is not to question where or with whom. So go Lyle. Because, yeah, leading a tour of people when you leave at 6 a.m., you don't get to your next spot until 5 or 6 the next, that night. Right. And then you have to do you have to program dinner. And then everybody has a free night. It's it, it's ex- It's got to be right. exhausting. Right. Well, then having to fill in in between. And, of course, if she's giving, like, a tour and saying that, discussing the sites or historical facts. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, it's that, exhausting. It's, it, you got to be on. Yep. Even, even in a monotone voice. Yep. <laughs> All right. So they finally get to an inn where they will be spending two whole days including one with nothing on the agenda. Oh, my. Um, everyone takes the time to rest, except for Belinda, who decides to accost Quill in his room. Oh, I've seen this movie. Um, she's still wearing <laughs> her heavy, heavy perfume, um, but she has stopped wearing green contacts and the false eyelashes. <laughs> they weren't mentioned in the previous book. Apparently, they were just assumed. But her father's death, remember, he committed suicide yep. after the death oh. of his wife, um, has left her broke. And so she proposes that Quill marry her for three years so she can have children who, who will retain the name of Goodwinter afterwards. Hmm. Quill is not that having seems, any of this. Yeah. And he does sensibly tape record the conversation. Oh, wow. He bluntly tells her no, and that if he did marry anyone, which he has no desire to do, it would be Polly. And finally, he gets her to leave, but Melinda doesn't seem dis- deterred, which is not a good sign. No, this house is divided into two wings, which is why half the tour wakes up to screams at 6 a.m. Mm. That's Polly screaming because her roommate, Irma, has suddenly passed away in the middle of the night at the oh. age of 42. 
Melinda, who, by the way, remember, is a doctor, um, declares the cause of death to be cardiac arrest and mm. volunteers to make the arrangements to get the body back to Moose County. Although she does correctly state that she cannot sign the death certificate in a foreign country. Um, the other half of the tour doesn't know what's happening until breakfast. And Bushy manages to make the worst comment possible with literally... Why so glum, kids? Somebody die around here? Probably regretted that one really, really fast. Oh boy, Bushy, read the room. Yeah, wasn't doing well on that one. No. Um, later that day, Quill calls Mildred to see how the cats are doing and uh, to tell her the bad news. And she reports that around 9.30 or 10.30 p.m., which would be somewhere in the middle of the night Scotland time, hmm. Coco let loose a blood-chilling howl. Hmm. Quill knows this as his death howl. And it happened around, as I said, 3 a.m. Scotland time. The approximate time of death for Irma. Interesting. The mustache starts tingling because something is very wrong about Irma's death. So even across the pond, these cats well, are... Well, he wasn't there. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Anyway, so understandably, after this, the tour is in a bit of flux. Uh, Melinda and the McWannells decide to leave the tour. Um, the rest of the group decides to continue on, with now Larry leading the group. Hmm. Uh, Amanda leaves uh, before they can get started because uh, at the same time that Irma was dying, um, Amanda managed to break a tooth. Oh, jeez. So she's flying home to get that dealt with. Um, And the worst part, the bus driver has gone missing. Ooh. Someone compares them to Agatha Christie's Ten Little Indians as they seem to be dropping one by one. Oh, boy. Uh, Yeah. Wait, oof. Yeah. Bus driver never returns, despite having loaded the luggage and eaten breakfast before 6 a.m. that morning. This isn't going to uh, end well. But nobody can find him. So now Larry's reading Irma's notes. Lyle is adding historical facts. Dwight is navigating. And Quill is driving. <laughs> sure. Way hey, to make it happen. You make it work. To make work it with whatever you have. Exactly. <laughs> um, there's another castle, another lock, a pub lunch, shortbread tea, and then they finally get to dinner. Um, Lyle tells them about the Glencoe Massacre where the order to slaughter an entire clan was supposedly written on a playing card, uh, which is the Nine of Diamonds. And apparently it's now sometimes called the Curse of Scotland. Hmm. Uh, I could not really find any information to really verify this, uh, but for for the mystery of Lillian Jackson Braun's book, that's the thing. <laughs> Later, Carol takes Quill aside the, at the day's tea and tells him more about Melinda's sad good winter cursed history. Uh, her brother Emery died while she was in med school, which led to her, the start of her mother's long illness. And then of all things, Carol says she wished that he and Melinda had gotten back together. Huh. I'm starting to think that sounds like Melinda coached her to say I was that. Say, that doesn't sound like, very... It doesn't sound remotely like Carol. No, not at all. That's yeah, definitely out of left field. Yeah, very strange. Uh, so the tour continues, um, and another mishap befalls the group. Uh, Grace Chisholm's luggage, carrying a fortune in jewels, turns up missing the first night after the bus driver disappears. Uh-huh. Now, Grace has been having, has a terrible habit. Number one, she over, she was the one who overpacked. Um, mm-hmm. Most of that is because she decided to bring her entire fortune in jewels with her. <laughs> so she's wandering around these Scottish highlands in giant diamond brooches Ouch. and dripping in dripping in onyx beads keeping and everything else. Keeping it on else. her person. Keeping yep. it, that's where it's safest, I guess, for her. Yeah, except that uh, it turns up missing when the bus driver does. Mm. Now, everything is insured, but there are some irreplaceable family heirlooms. Um, and, as the tour finally ends, the final disaster strikes. Quill gets a call from Mildred, expecting to hear how Irma's funeral went, but she's calling to tell him that the funeral has been postponed because the body never arrived. Oh, God. It appears that the body was shipped to Canada. 
It is now making its way back to Moose County via Denver and Atlanta. So, okay, making a, a giant triangle or yeah, something. Something. Jeez. And with that, Quill changes his and Polly's tickets to first class immediate departures instead of staying in Edinburgh an extra day because why would you want to stay after this trip? I, yeah, th- th- everything's going to be soiled. Jeez. I guess this airline has a hub in Denver and Atlanta. Maybe it's maybe it's United. Who knows? Maybe. maybe. United or Delta or some other terrible airline. Oh, boy. Anyway. There goes our sponsorship. <laughs> anyway. So Quill and Polly fly home. They fly first class, which is kind of nice. And it's it, it's nice to see Quill using his money. Sure. Because um, as Polly says, she never flew, she's never flown first class before. That's a nice little treat. So, then, it yeah. is a very nice little yeah. treat. And they get home, and the cats eventually forgave Quill for his absence. But as they're getting ready for, bre- for bed, Coco performs his death dance around Irma's obituary in the something. Mm. Something is something is not well. We've seen this death dance before. We have, a couple mm. of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially around anything that is paper. Quill slowly adjusts back to life in pickaxe, but he's constantly thinking about Irma's death. A letter Polly found in Irma's belongings, because remember, Irma was Polly's roommate, mm-hmm. um, reveals that Bruce, the bus driver, had a criminal past. Uh-oh. Did Irma help him steal the jewels, and then he drugged her, inducing a heart attack? Normally, Quill might ask the tour's doctor, but since that's Melinda, he decides against it. <laughs> Let that one go. He then finds Yum Yum hiding under a rug, guarding a stolen tarot card from Melinda's de- from Mildred's deck. Sorry, hmm. Mildred's deck. It's the same card that in Quill's tarot reading was reversed, causing Mildred so much concern before the trip. Calls to report the cat theft, and she tells him to hold on to it until they're having dinner with Arch and Polly later in the week. The card, by the way, is the Nine of Pentacles, which corresponds to diamonds in the regular card <laughs> suit. There's that curse of Scotland uh, again. There we go. It followed them across the pond. It did indeed. Now, Polly uh, shows um, hitherto, hitherto unseen, unforeseen depths uh, because she's managed to charm Irma's address book from her parents. Yes, remember, Irma is a 40-year-old who lives at home. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Polly manages to charm the address book from her parents and gives it to Quill so he can contact Irma's Scottish friend, uh, which turns out to be sister of the missing bus driver. Oh. He calls and he has to let her know of Irma's passing because mm. um, nobody else has. The conversation is awkward, very stilted. Um, she doesn't mention that her brother is missing, um, adding to Quill's suspicions that he's the one who stole the Chisholm jewelry. So he takes his suspicions to police chief Brody and later to Coco, who seems to confirm that Irma was murdered, but not by bus driver Bruce. Ow. Yeah. <laughs> in, in the words of Coco. So we've got two unrelated crimes here. We've got Irma's murder, mm-hmm. because it's definitely murder. Mm-hmm. Things are too weird. It's, uh, yeah. And then we've got the fairly solvable mystery of the missing jewels, which we can pretty much lay squarely at the feet of bus driver Bruce. Right. Just... Took the money and ran. Took the jewels and ran. Took the jewels and ran. (laughs) Quill sits down and he starts to listen to his tapes from the trip. Um, And at one point, there's a mention of Dr. Cream, who is a Glaswegian (laughs) serial killer, which I did have to look up, who had his pink pills for pale prostitutes. Um, He tried to frame others for his crimes, which is a weird story for another time. (laughs) And a chat with Junior Goodwinter reveals a very interesting argument. Melinda claims that Irma wanted cremation, but her father, again, the attorney has her buried in the family plot since her desires weren't in writing. All better to exhume the body. Might as well. Yeah, so Hmm. now we're starting to wonder if there was poison involved. There's also a strange man with a shaggy beard who looks a heck of a lot like the one who threatened Polly, and he's back in town. Uh Uh-oh. Turns out he may have been hired as the new chef at the new pickaxe hotel. Ooh. Um, They're attempting to upgrade the menu there. It doesn't work very well. (laughs) This guy gets caught because he's parking in the design studio's parking lot and annoying Fran. (laughs) Uh-oh. So that's how he gets his name called in. Um, 
Quill decides to investigate and takes Polly to dinner, which, as I mentioned, does not go well. Yeah. Um, and not only is, you know, remember Quill doesn't buy new pieces of clothing easily. No. He is wearing a new blazer at dinner and it is viciously attacked by a rogue butter squirt. Butter squirt? Um, yes. He cuts into his dinner the... The, the 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 dish squirts butter squirts as butter, it does I it. See. Say, I never, I never buttered a roll and had it squirt at me. No, 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 no. But no, no. This, this is, is this is something where you're cutting into it and hot butter yes. is squirting out because you're putting pressure in different locations. Now he does try and share his suspicions that Irma was involved in something nefarious with Polly, and Polly understandably gets very upset at this attack mm-hmm. on her friend's character, who when you know she's no longer here to defend herself. Right. And Polly, being Irma's friend. Um, and a bit of an outsider herself probably understands Irma better than anybody at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, after you know watching her spend so much time in this town that doesn't that doesn't appreciate her efforts and doesn't appreciate her, um, you know, doesn't appreciate her her Flight's desire, the, the her right desire, word. her desire to to keep herself polished. Yes. Um, rather than fade into the background. Well, keep herself polished, and also as her other past too, which. Yeah. Wrongly judged as well, too. I, I have to agree. So after that debacle of a dinner, Quill uh, <laughs> Quill goes home and he starts playing again his tapes of the trip. And Melinda's voice comes on and Coco loses Coco his shit. Coco never liked her at now, all. He, no, he never liked her. <laughs> um, and now that... Um, and now that she's back in town, her big thing is that she's planning the sale of her parents' estate to help cover her debts. Hmm. Um, she's doing this as a tag sale rather than a professional auction, which is really pissing off... Um, all of her neighbors on Good Winter Boulevard. A ta- so everything's just marked as a price. Then. Yes, everything's just marked as a price. People are going to be wandering through, which means lots of traffic, mm-hmm. lots of um, lots of on-site people. And not keeping track of stuff, I'm sure. Exactly. Um, you know, traditionally, what would have happened is um, the house would have been packed up and moved to... Uh, Foxy Fred's bit a bit auction. We've, we've seen Foxy Fred uh, a yes, couple of I times before. I remember Foxy. Uh, so... Normally, Foxy Fred would be handling the auction, but instead she's doing it tag sale style so that she can claim more money. Probably get some more quick cash, I'm guessing, for that. Hmm. So the Chisholm sisters particularly are very annoyed, um, and they plan to leave town until it's over. But not before they have Quill over to write an article on their enormous teddy bear collection. (laughs) Um, Now, when I say that the Chisholm sisters collect teddy bears, we are not talking about a small collection. This is over 1,800 pieces and growing, and some of them individually are worth nearly $100,000. Good Lord. Um, so we translate that from early 1990s, and we're up to about 500000 Jeez. Now, as a thank you, they send Quill home with a miniature teddy bear named Tidy Tim. <laughs> when I say miniature, they, they describe him as being about three inches tall. <laughs> and he's tiptoeing through the tulips. Exactly. As we speak. With no other options, Quill finally decides that he really does need to ask Melinda if Irma's heart attack could have been drug-induced. And he decides that the best place to do that without social complications is in the middle of her Macbeth rehearsals. Oh, wow. God, you moron. She She dismisses his drug ideas and tries to get him to come look at the the things in the sale or otherwise be alone with her, but he manages to avoid her clutches. He does successfully make up with Polly by promising her dinner at the Palomino Paddock and Lockmaster. Good work, Polly. Um, (laughs) Definitely, if he's going to piss you off, make him take you to a really nice dinner. (laughs) And then he warns Polly to be extra careful. Uh, the original car belonging to her stalker has been spotted by Nick Bomba, by Nick Bomba at the Dimmedale Diner. Hmm. Bushy then yeah. visits the barn with pictures from the trip, because of course, if you're going to have a professional photographer along, might as he's well going yeah. to take the pictures. Mm-hmm. And he has the sad news that he and Vicky are divorcing. Oh no! Now she owns the house, so he needs to start looking for a new photo studio location, probably in Pickaxe, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and Quill predicts that he's going to be a huge success. 
and suggests that he starts taking in some some assignments from the something to fill time and get his work known. This is a great idea. Coco, however, uh, starts licking pictures to draw attention to one to the one picture with a clear shot of the mysterious bus driver, um, which Bushy promises to blow up and get to the police. I just see that scene from High Anxiety where they blow up the picture much bigger. Just now, that's blown up. <laughs> <laughs> now, at the promised dinner at the Palomino Paddock, Polly shares a concern with Quill. Her sister-in-law, I believe, is the uh, bookkeeper at Melinda's clinic. And there have been two prescription errors since Melinda returned from Scotland. Hmm. Now, Quill is at first inclined to be generous to the stress that Melinda's under until she calls him at 3 a.m. drunk and tries again to seduce him over the phone. Okay, that's drunk dialing before it was a thing. Drunk dialing has always been a thing. As long as there have been phones, (laughs) there has been drunk dialing. (laughs) Good point, good point. The next day, Quill brings Yum Yum to the Senior Center for their Pets for Patients program. And he gets to spend time with Dr. Halifax, Halifax Goodwinter, by the way, um, his former housekeeper. She reveals that Dr. Hal was secretly a painter, Hmm. but never showed his work to anyone. Oh, and uh, Melinda's brother, Emery, probably not dead. Oh. He was sent away and paid by Dr. Hal to stay away. But after he supposedly died in a car accident, the caretaker kept being sent to the bank to make the payments. But you remember how Melinda said uh, all the black sheep moved to Mexico? Back right. in the cl- cat who played mm-hmm. post office? It turns out she knows that from first-hand experience. Oh, dear. So, <laughs> and with this new information and the fact that Yum Yum is a lovely therapy cat, mm-hmm. um, of course she is. She wants to, <laughs> she wants to be pet and loved. That's the, yes, yes. Sweet. Yum Yum's the affectionate cat, the cuddler. Exactly. So Quill takes this information and goes to the Landspeaks department store to buy a birthday gift for Polly. And Carol confides, because once again, she's stage managing and <laughs> assistant directing she's confiding that melinda is not doing well as lady m Uh-oh. um she's giving larry nothing to play against despite several notes from the director and then quill goes to work in the box office for an afternoon and learns that jennifer olsen a local uh a, a local girl just graduated from high school the lady mcduff has been asked by the director to secretly understudy melinda um, he learns this because, of course, her mother takes up the box office line for almost an hour trying to find the perfect seats for her entire giant family. <laughs> I had I had stress reading this scene with the box office because I used to because when I used to work box office, oh. when you have those people going, well, where is a good seat? And it's speaking from your experience i know it's an 80 seat theater every seat every a good seat's a good seat, seat. Um, now this, the theater there is a little bit larger quill finally comes up with a brilliant strategy by mm-hmm. the way in the scene he tells her why don't you go into the theater and look around and see where you'd like to sit and then come back and talk to me <laughs> so he gets her out of line he manages to deal with everybody else and by the time she comes back everybody else has been helped it's kind of a brilliant strategy i'm very very i'm very very proud of him <laughs> Now that he gets home after this, and he finds that Coco has been licking photos again. Hmm. And all of these photos feature Melinda. Interesting. So we've got... The bus driver. We've got the bus driver, and we've got Melinda. Hmm. So Coco is pointing something out with our um, with our two separate uh, crimes that we have Yow here. Yow, indeed. Yow, indeed. Uh, the next day, the tag sale goes forward, and Quill makes a discovery at the preview. Dr. Howe was a unique folk artist. Uh, Melinda didn't care for the work and had it priced at a dollar a painting. Whoa. Um, aided by Mildred, however, Quill calls the K-Fund and purchases all the art at a relatively fair price. Um, which, yay for Melinda, but, um, you know, at least the K-Fund can afford $100 a painting. Uh, yeah. Um, 
uh, as he's leaving, he spots a familiar bushy beard that Uh-oh. looks like Polly Stalker, and he tries to trick him into confessing his name, but the beard is smart and leaves without confessing anything. Um, <laughs> although, Quill Sorry, notices... that needs to be another t-shirt. The beard is smart. <laughs> the beard is smart. Quill also notices that said beard steals a silver pocket knife with Dr. Hal's initial on it. Hmm. The eventual sale is a huge moneymaker, but again, makes no friends for Melinda among her neighbors. Not that she cares, she's trying to sell the house. Because... Their yards and their sidewalks are completely destroyed by truck tires covered in trash from the buyers and everybody else who's come and kind of camped out. Mm. Um, there is a scene of locals waiting to get into the sale and somebody saying, I just want to own something that belonged to a good winter, even if it's an old toothpick. Oh, wow. Yeah, that kind of obsession. Jeez. So it's more about a spite than anything else, it seems like. Exactly. Well, it's spite and again, that good winter mystique. Mm, that's true. Because um, remember, they've been the family in Pickaxe and Moose County for a very, very long time. Um, although their ranks are thinning rapidly in the last couple well, of books. Well, it's, yeah, we're down to maybe books. nine pages now compared to the yeah. ten that we were last time from 14. So it's exactly. uh, it's not a good, if your name's Goodwinter, you've been... You've... We've only got three left in the story. Jeez. Um, oh, well, Melinda, Amanda, and Junior. Ay, ay, ay. So, to get Quill's mind off Polly's stalker, Brody invites him to Scottish Night at the Lodge. How lovely. <laughs> um, but as he's getting ready, Coco bum-rushes Quill's knees. Hmm. Um, now, he usually does that, apparently, when Quill is on the wrong track. Um, <laughs> so, Quill starts to think things over, and he starts to wonder if maybe Melinda has messed up Irma's medication, and that would have been the cause of her death, which would explain a lot of the guilt and everything else that Melinda seems to be feeling. Dwight Somers, again, the director... He's also very concerned about Melinda. He says she hasn't been sleeping well, and he's starting to wonder if she's taking diet pills as uppers and sleeping pills as downers in combination to keep her going. Ooh. Uh, not a good combination. No, 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 no. Uh, later, they finally take, uh, he takes Polly to dinner with Arch and Mildred for Polly's birthday. Hmm. And when they get home, the stalker is waiting for them. Hmm. Quill manages to scare him off, and they call Brody. And the next day, he chats with Gary Pratt at the hotel booze. And a bearded guy was trying to sell watches and electronics to customers. And these are obviously stolen property, probably from rental houses in Mooseville and possibly from the Goodwinter tag sale. Hmm. So Gary is getting his name and, and, you know, getting him off the property. And it's suggested that the mystery bearded man might be hiding in the local shantytown. Hmm. Who knew that they had a shantytown? <laughs> but of course, in Burr, where everything is on the lake. Where else would you call it but a shanty town? Anyway, moving on. <laughs> terrible, terrible accent. I'm so sorry, listeners. Um, <laughs> later that night, after the Macbeth dress rehearsal, uh, Melinda comes to the barn, and she has a maudlin conversation with Quill and makes a very frightening statement. Um, Knowing you, Quill, was the highlight of my life. Too bad it had to be so short. What? That's what she tells him. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So well, so Coco, on the other hand, makes his feel his feelings known by leaving the chewed remains of Tiny Tim the teddy bear in her purse. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Tiny Tim. Poor Tiny Tim. I'm sorry. He was sacrificed. Which, by the way, also proves to be prophetic because in the midst of all the trucks carting things away from the Goodwinter house, someone backed a truck up to the Chisholm house and cleaned out the teddy bear collection. Oh, God. Um, the Chisholms are furious and they have decided not to return to Goodwinter because Goodwinter Boulevard is turning into the Haunted Mansion Boulevard. <laughs> Remember, we're selling the Goodwinter house. Mm-hmm. Um, we're selling the, um, you know, we're selling the Chisholm house. Uh, something is is going on. Something is going on with, with Goodwinter Boulevard and everything is just gone. It's a ghost town now. Yeah, it's awful. Huh. Um, Macbeth finally opens the next night and Quill and Polly attend 
I think the show is wonderful, but Melinda lacks energy. Hmm. Um, Lyle Compton said she played the sleepwalking scene all the way through Act 1. Cute, <laughs> cute. As the play concludes, Quill gets a absolutely terrible feeling and he bolts out of the theater, telling Polly to have the Comptons drive her home. <laughs> Rushes back to the barn to find Coco licking blood from between his toes. Oh, no. Someone broke into the barn and stole Quill's tapes from the Scotland trip and to uh, add insult to injury, kidnap Yum Yum. Oh, jeez. Coco defended himself, but Yum Yum went missing. Well, if he's looking uh, bud, hopefully he defended yep. well. Now, I have a feeling Coco's going to be okay. Coco's again, fine. We're still only halfway through, but still, don't kidnap the cats. Yeah. That's Nick Bamba me. hears about the break-in on his police scanner and the two men, uh, and he comes and picks up Quill and the two men head for Shantytown where Nick thinks, where Nick, remember, he's the one who spotted the- uh, Right, the uh, car. The, the car. This is where he thinks he last saw the stalker. Hmm. They find the stalker holed up in a trailer with his eye nearly swollen shut from Coco's scratches along with Yum Yum, thank goodness, and Quill's tape, and the silver pocket knife from the Goodwinter sale. Hmm. Because it turns out that Polly's stalker is Emery Goodwinter, Aha! who is indeed not dead. Ah, he is not But he dead. didn't work alone. <laughs> um, and Melinda is missing. Junior was trying to find her for a quote for, a pa- for the paper. Brody shares that Emery came back to pickaxe, pickaxe looking, obviously, for a quick cash out of his inheritance, but there's no money. So apparently, Melinda suggested kidnapping Polly to raise some cash. What? That was her brilliant idea. That's, uh... Quill then has Polly's sister-in-law, remember she works at the clinic with what? Melinda, uh, look, into Ur- look into Irma's medical re- records. If it's unethical, he literally says, if it's unethical, ask her to do it anyway, I won't tell anyone. <laughs> It's a bit life or death, so she does it anyway. Oh, um, and he is listening to his Scottish, Scotland tapes when something catches his ear. Melinda was saying that Irma wasn't taking medication for her heart condition, meaning there was no pres- there was no prescription to mess up. Huh. So Polly reports back that according to her sister-in-law, Irma's file is missing entirely Uh-oh. from the clinic. Oh. And then Polly also shares very crucial information. She was supposed to be taking a high-potency vitamin C capsule on this trip. Because remember, the last time when she went to England, she caught bronchitis. Mm-hmm. So, her, so her previous doctor had recommended these vitamin C capsules. Um, but it turns out they were too big for her to swallow. So she ended up giving them to Irma, who was complaining of a sore throat. Mm. The tape also reveals that Wannell McWannell spotted Melinda coming out of Irma and Polly's room the evening before she died. Okay. With that sore throat, Wannell just obviously assumed that the troop doctor was trying to make sure that she was she okay. She was okay, and yeah, not, and trying to treat the sore throat. Yep. Quill tries again to watch Macbeth uh, the following night and is surprised when an announcement comes over the loudspeaker that Lady Macbeth will be played by Jennifer Olsen. I have to just say also, Jennifer Olsen is the most simple name that we have in this entire yes, series true. so far. Yes, she makes up for it by having the largest family ever. Um, <laughs> well, at, yes, picking out the seats. So yes. I'm hopefully they're there tonight. They, they're they were indeed. They came. They came every night. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> but the reason Jennifer's taking over, Linda never showed up for call. Oh boy. Quill leaves the theater right as sirens start wailing down Goodwinter Boulevard oh, no. because a car sped down to the dead end street and crashed into the granite monument at the end, killing the driver. It's Melinda. Brody arrives at the barn in the morning with the news. They found the bus driver, but not the jewels because he'd sold them already. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bus driver had no idea that Irma was dead, so he wasn't her murderer. We knew that. Uh, Melinda, however, did leave a confession before she committed high-speed suicide. Mm. She doctored Polly's vitamins, which were pink. Remember those poison pink, pink, pink pills? Pink poison pills. Yep. Yeah, to try and kill her. But Irma took them instead. Melinda killed her best friend instead of her romantic rival. Oh, jeez. She leaves a final letter for Quill, but he never gets to read it because Coco shreds it and, dis- <laughs> and it disappears like, like it was never, never there. there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And that 
is the end of Melinda. Wow. That, that wow. This one is quite a ride. I really, really like this it book. Go, yeah, this is from start to finish, and it just goes in so many different places. This is, oh, wow. Yeah, it's really fun. So within this book, we also get the first mention of Charles Rainey McIntosh, um, who, as we know, Quill's mother was, was a, a Macintosh. But Charles Rainey McIntosh was a 19th century architect, designer, and artist notable in the modernist and Art Nouveau periods. Hmm. Uh, I'll post some of his designs on the blog because they're absolutely gorgeous and I really, really love hmm. them. Um, this, this book was my first encounter with his work, um, and it's a style I really like. Clean lines, geometric, nature-inspired patterns, and beautifully simple furniture. Well, it should be simple, but it's like chairs that are are incredibly tall with extra posts. Sure. Uh, it's, it's very architectural, really beautiful. Interesting. Fun fact, um, in previous books, there was talk about a local gossip who was identified by her calling of everyone dear heart. Mm-hmm. Well, we have an identity, and it's Grace Chisholm, <laughs> which is so not shocking. No, based on the little bit that we see of her or know of her, it, this is not yes. a surprise. Yes, no, she... <laughs> Obviously, she gets much more screen time in the book than she does in my reviews because, unfortunately, um, while having a bunch of things stolen, she's not actually that essential to the plot. Um, (laughs) When the tour attempts to continue, there is a bit of a dust-up. And Lisa Compton tells Quill that Larry will be managing the tour. And Quill is a little confused. He asks why she and Polly aren't doing it because they're completely capable. And Lisa replies, if a man is in charge, he'll be considered well-informed, well-organized, and a good leader. Because Irma was a woman, she was called fussy, bossy, and a know-it-all. Yep. Of course. Um, it's preposterous, but that's the way it is in Moose County, and it'll take a couple more generations to change that attitude. Sadly, you are right on, Lisa, and I'm sorry it hasn't gotten much better. It's slowly but surely, I, well, this is from the perspective of a man, It's it feels like it's getting a little bit better. A little bit. Um, well, I think also the fact that, not to get too political or timely, but the fact that we're seeing, you know, actually maybe men are a little bit more unemo- <laughs> uh, emotionally unstable than the women are claimed to be. Um, a further example, um, mm-hmm. after Dr. Hal dies and Melinda takes over his practice... All of his male patients abandon the clinic for a male doctor in Lockmaster. They are willing to drive 60 miles to a male doctor rather than be examined by a woman. Jesus. Um, By the way, however, the women start coming in droves. Good. Oh, boy. And so it's it's doubly sad that Melinda uh, just... A very tragic character. She really is. And and to have... and, And to do this kind of a mix-up where she tries to kill somebody and ends up killing, um, you know, her biggest supporters. Right. Melinda describes Irma as the first person to walk through the doors as of her clinic when she opened. Mm. So that's That would take a toll. That would it be really, tough. really so, would. Uh, I, I take back most of what I said about Melinda. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I don't take back any of it. She still was a horrible, uh, horrible attempting, um, attempting to be manipulative bitch. Um, but Some she, I take back then. You know... <laughs> Nobody deserves to go that way. No. Nobody deserves, and deserves to be tormented to, that way. Tormented that way and also to uh, just having that guilt or having that of uh, exactly. doing that to a friend and, you know, a very close supporter. That uh, I can imagine that being very tough. Yeah. So suicide Ugh. is not a surprise at the end of this. Mm. Um, our signs of the times. Um, there was some discussion in the Cat Who Played Post Office about the cost of Quill's first car and how they wanted more for a 10-speed bike these days. We finally, by the way, learned the cost of Quill's first car. Um, Another thing that's a sign of the times for me is Quill works the box office for Macbeth and they can't take credit cards, but checks are okay. I worked box office uh, for a local theater company in town when I first moved here just as a volunteer. 
And this was still, they would take credit cards, but you had to get one of those old knuckle busters. Yep. So it's, yeah. Nowadays, you can just swipe it on a square. You can scan it, hold it up to a phone. And exactly. It's done. Um, also, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of foreshadowing for later in the series. Uh-huh. Um, Nick Bamba mentions that he and Lori have plans to open a bed and breakfast one day that will, of course, permit pets. Um, Lori also mentioned this in the cat who moved to mountains. So plans are definitely in the works. Now. So this is, yeah, there's so something, be a, something is, something is brewing. There's going to be a bed and breakfast book coming up. Isn't there? Yep. <laughs> um, once again, we have a scene with Scotty of Scotty's men shop. Oh, good old um, Scotty. He is continuing to expand Quill's wardrobe and this time it's a suede blazer. Um, Quill complains that he's never spent that much on a single item before. I guess that's technically true because uh, his tuxedo and his suits are multiple items of clothing. Let's Sadly, the blazer is ruined by a stroke squirt of butter at the new pickaxe hotel. And Quill, by the way, is really, really <laughs> salty about this. Um, so it was salted butter. <laughs> yes. He even yells at the hostess that he's going to charge them for a new blazer. I mean, dude, you have more money than God. Let the blazer go. Oh, boy. Um. Also, thanks to this incident, um, I know the difference between chicken Kiev, which is breaded chicken rolled around garlic butter, and chicken cordon bleu, which is breaded chicken rolled around Swiss cheese. I thought cordon bleu was also stuffed. It's stuffed with Swiss cheese. Ah, Swiss cheese and ham, isn't it? Yes, there is occasionally, there is ham, but it's breaded chicken rolled around cheese versus chicken Kiev, which is breaded chicken rolled around butter. I did not know what chicken Kiev is until now. There you go. You learn all (laughs) sorts of things with these books. In, so... Despite just it just again that I'm going to send you the bill for a new blazer, dude. You are the richest man in the northeastern United States. Shut up. <laughs> Buy yourself a new blazer. There are a couple instances where Quill is a really good friend to Bushy here. Bushy's going through the divorce, needs to start fresh and pickaxe, and Quill not only offers to get him hooked up with the something for photography assignments, but he convinces Arch to have us have the something sponsor an exhibition of Bushy's Scotland photos to tie in with a theater club production. Oh, very nice. Uh, it's a smart way to, you know, get the something tied into the theater club and again, build that kind of community support that Quill has really been doing and help out Bushy at the same time. Right. How about an old friend? That's exactly. great. However, Quill is not a creative gift giver. Um, <laughs> you may remember from our previous book, The Cat Who Moved a Mountain, he brought home handwoven batwing capes for Polly, Hixie, Fran, Laurie, and Mildred. Same design, different colors. <laughs> he also brought them home a Cairngorm brooch. Brooch. Oh my God. Wow. He I then just... <laughs> brought them home a Cairngorm brooch for each woman from Scotland. This is a long story to ignore that. Which, <laughs> there will be more about that later, probably. Anyway, so then at an event which recognizes distinguished women in the community, all five women wear their capes and their brooches, uh, and they all uh, end uh, up on the stage together with with their commemorative plaques. Uh, 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 uh. It sounded de- so good on paper. Quill's defense? I clearly know a lot of distinguished women. <laughs> I mean, as points far, for trying. Dude. I was going to say, as far as defenses go, that's not a terrible not one. Not a terrible it's one. It's not a good one either, but it's not oh, a terrible it's, one. It's just, just imagining the weird kick line of, of all of these. Because all of these women are different <laughs> shapes and sizes. They're different colorings. And they've all got on the same batwing cape and the same brooch. But different colors, at least. But different colors. Better news at this point. Arch Riker has finally transferred his affections from the ungrateful Amanda Goodwinter to the warm and wonderful Mildred Hanstable. Oh, good. A wonderful match all around. Everybody is happy about this. Good. Especially the readers, because frankly, Amanda is exhausting to read about. She's just not that interesting. (laughs) Mildred, on the other hand, has hidden depths. And I always like seeing what she's cooking or what she's knitting or quilting or whatever she's doing. She's doing something interesting. So cats will be cats. Yum Yum 
by the way, stole Mildred's emery boards and presents them to her favorite humans. <laughs> um, Coco, when he presents an emery board, is trying to get Quill to make the connection to Melinda's brother, trying Emery. To get the spring, get the, get the spring. It's Emery. Yeah. That, I'm giving you a clue. Yep. One good thing for, the, for having cats, um, Coco and Yum Yum steal Quill's butter-soaked blazer and they lick it clean. <laughs> so well that, you know, one lapel is a little bit more roughly suited than the other. But hey, there's no more butter stain. Hey, all right. Well, that's good kitties. Now, speaking of cats, what would be your paw rating for this one? All right. I'm going to actually adjust my paw rating slightly from what I wrote down originally. Oh, um, really? I really want to say this is three and a half paws. Oh, my. It's not quite four. What keeps it from getting to four paws out of curiosity? <sighs> the... Sudden demise of the Goodwinter family, which started the series as such a prominent thing. The fact that we only have two left. It's like Starks. They're just going yeah, out. Yeah, everybody's just... dying. Um, <laughs> so this quickly, is, too. This is a great mystery. I love all the Scottish history that she gets to integrate. And I'm really, I really am sad at Melinda's end. I, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But there is, I also, by the way, really love the twist of Melinda's brother not being dead. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's predictable. Yes, it's, you know, kind of, to, it, it's, it could have been predicted if you really thought about it, but it's, it's well done. And the, and, and the, the twist of him being used as the stalker to try and kidnap Polly at Melinda's guidance. Um, there, there's something in there about Melinda being the smart one of oh. the two, which, <laughs> duh. Um, I was going to say, it seems, you know, the, the cliche of the dead relative who's not really dead is one that has been done to death in many a stories. But, uh, but <laughs> thank you. But but how this one got there yes. and how this one handled it, I always like, if it's a, if it's a familiar story, if you do a, tell it in an interesting way, then I'm okay with that and I like it. It's, exactly. I always go back to Silver Linings Playbook, the Bradley Cooper movie for this, because... I knew how the movie was going to end. Him and Jennifer Lawrence were going to get together. How it got there, though, I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And so that sounds very much like this. Exactly. It's, you know... Being the stalker and everything else. Well, and with the way that she's run these books, you couldn't quite be sure that this was going to be the end of Melinda. Because she could have dragged it, easily dragged Melinda out for, mm-hmm. another, for another couple of books. Um, I'm kind of glad she didn't because where she's taking this, these stories after that um, gets a little bit more interesting. And quite frankly, the Melinda Polly that, uh, um, the tug love of war, triangle. Tug, tri- tug, tug of war. I like that. Tug of war because it's That's... not a love triangle. He wants. He 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 is very clear where he wants to be. Um, even when he even when he and Polly have terrible terrible behavior towards each other, it's still healthier than his relationship with Melinda. Um, which was basically her going after him for his money. Mm. Um, so that's slightly better. So again, that's three and a half paws for me. And I I like the insightfulness now that we've gotten to know this community, that we have moments like Lisa's insightfulness of, you know, this is an old male-driven community. And that means that they are not going to respect a woman in a position of power. Whether we like it or not, we can either work with it for right now and demonstrate better behavior so that the future generations learn that. Um, or, you know, we can sit and fuss about it. So instead, we're going to keep working at it. So I like that kind of self-awareness. It helps. I think also with this and what I'm enjoying is the seeing the characters that we've come to know and really enjoy with a lot of the town townspeople of pickaxe seeing their story like it's mm-hmm. it's a nice thing with the fact that uh the two are getting together and that uh there have you know it's not going to be going over with affection for 
uh, Amanda actually hooking up with, with Mildred instead. I think that's actually something that's very nice. So it's good to see that for Arch. It's good to see Quill supporting his friend. There's just a lot. Yeah, it seems very well fleshed out. Yeah. And the characters are very... It's not just names anymore. They're actually mm-hmm. real li- living, breathing people to me. Exactly. So it's very nice mm-hmm. in that regard. Yeah. Well, what is the next book we're going to be reading? Well, um, next time we are going to be uh, heading back to the uh, to the Gage Mansion, where we Ooh. first met uh, Euphonia Gage, in The Cat Who Went Into the Closet. Ooh, fascinating. This should be fun. Looking forward to that one. Thank you for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. Join us next time for The Cat Who Went Into the Closet. I'm Susan Romsdorf Terry. I'm Luke Romsdorf Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing. And stay nosy, my friends. Stay nosy, my friends.